0: Hi, listeners, welcome back. This is Carolee Walker, a writer living in Washington, DC. I am so pumped for today's episode because it is my very first pop-up book club. I was so inspired by Michelle Obama's memoir, Becoming, and I just knew I was going to want to talk about it with other people. The book had just arrived in the mail, so I popped on Oprah's interview with Michelle and headed out for a run in the neighborhood. In her own intro to the interview, Oprah says that she hopes every book club is discussing this book. But what if you're not in a book club or if your book club isn't discussing the book? That's where the idea of a pop-up book club comes in. I talked about doing this with two of my friends, Kathy Davidoff, a seasoned and longtime television producer in Washington, and my Vassar classmate, Karen Cox, who also works for the State Department in her day job and was most recently posted in Haiti. Both Kathy and Karen jumped on board. We reached out to Tessa Velazquez, owner and manager of a bake joint in downtown DC, about recording the event in her beautiful and bustling cafe. And she too signed on. So without further ado, here is my very first pop-up book club. Stay tuned for more to come. Yeah, please join. Thank you. How are you? Good. I'm Carolee Walker. Hi, Nicole. This is a pop-up book club for Michelle Obama's Becoming, which is being recorded for My Brain on Endorphins. Thank you for joining us. I was just saying that I had this idea about doing the pop-up book club because my book club's not reading the book. And I really knew that I was going to want to talk about it with other women and, and men, too. So I, um, I started to read the book. Actually, by a show of hands, how many of you have not read the book or not finished the book? So I, so I want to say at the outset, if you haven't read the book and you ha- or you haven't finished it, I envy you because I wish I was in your shoes. You have no idea how much you're going to enjoy this book, and I'm so sad that when I'm rereading it, I'm not reading it for the first time. That's how good you're going to feel. So I wish I were you. I hope we don't give anything away, all of the interviews. She's been giving so many interviews. Even if you know what's in the book, it's still a joy. To come across it yourself the first time in the pages, so I just wanted to say that at the outset. It is very readable, and and actually, as you get to a certain age, as I am, I'm 61. I was last, I was 61 last week. You know, I read things, I hear things, and you know, I kind of forget a little bit, so I have to reread, remind myself. So I, you know, that's the other thing. Looking around, I was really interested in talking about this book with women of different ages, because. Um, this whole notion of becoming, this whole notion of there being a journey, a journey that is worth enjoying every moment of, is a different journey if you're just beginning it than it is for someone who's 61, who's continuing to progress on her journey. So I'm really interested in how uh, younger people are sort of inspired by her words. So just a little bit about me. When I first joined the State Department, I was a public diplomacy writer telling America's stories to the world. Now I work in, in uh, public affairs. But one of the first assignments I got when I joined the State Department was covering uh, the White House. I had the first lady beat, and I was invited to the White House along with the press corps to write about Laura Bush's uh, literacy efforts, her uh, book efforts on behalf of um, book literacy, especially among children. And then when um, Barack Obama was elected, I went to the White House for the first time to cover the groundbreaking for the White House kitchen garden, which was Michelle Obama's idea. And I remember walking over to the gate where the press would check in, and I checked in, and the guard at the gate said, okay, you know where to go? And I was like, okay, I know where to go. But actually, previously, in previous administrations, when you went to the White House, You waited by the gate, and then you were escorted to either the the press briefing room or wherever the event was that you were going to cover, and in fact, you were invited to cover the very opening of the event, and you would stay behind a rope, and then after the official remarks were made, you would retreat. You would have to leave, and then maybe the one person assigned for the press corps would cover the event, and that's where you would get the notes for the event. So that's what I knew the few times I had covered events at the White House. I would... Go. I would get escorted to the event. I would stay behind the rope. I would stay for the official remarks, and then I would leave and then file my story based on the White House, um, uh, on the um, the press corps, basically. And so on this particular day, when I went to the White House and I was told, you know where to go, I started walking along the grounds um, looking for the White House garden, uh, kitchen garden. And the first thing I noticed was that there were people walking everywhere. There were staffers crisscrossing along the lawn, walking on the paths. I told someone afterward, if you, if you don't wear flats and a skinny belt and a cardigan, you can't work in the White House. It was a very young, vibrant, almost hip environment. So I went to the kitchen garden groundbreaking along with the rest of the press corps and Michelle came out and there were school children there and the White House kitchen staff and there was a rope where we stayed outside but in fact, we were invited to stay for the entire event. I didn't have my camera with me because I didn't expect that this would happen. But I watched her up close interact with us, with the press, with the children, with the kitchen staff, and I was absolutely smitten. She was, and she's beautiful in photos. Up close, I don't know if any of you have met her. Am I, has any of you, you've met her? She's even more stunning in, in real life. And I just couldn't get over the whole ambience of the experience. So I went to pretty much every kitchen garden event after that, and you know, I took lots of pictures, I knew what to expect. Very often the kitchen staff came out and fed us cookies. I mean, it was just, uh, it was a, a paradigm shift. I also covered the poetry slam, the one that she writes about in the book with Lynn manuel Miranda. Um, And I remember they brought in these like pink velvet poofs. It was just an otherworldly mind opening experience to this whole notion of opening the White House as the people's house. So that's my little special sort of background to her and watching her. Um, So I just wanted to introduce that. There are other uh, aspects of her platform that really interest me quite a bit in my own writing as a freelance wellness writer, and we can talk about that later. But I just wanted to share that little story. And, and the re- one of the reasons why I want to share it um, is, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this pop-up book club? And that is because I, I was sh- surprised by so many things in the book And you feel like you know someone when they're, she was on the public stage for eight years. And maybe you all have your own ideas about what you knew about her, your opinion about her, your opinion about them as a couple. But reading the book, I was surprised to learn some very key things. So I'll just start with one thing that surprised me, and then open it up to anyone else who's read the book on what what surprised them. I think the thing that surprised me the most and I've mentioned it to Karen and Kathy, is that because I'm, a, I'm four foot 10, I mean, in these shoes, I'm five feet. So my natural instinct and my, my bias towards very tall, beautiful women is that they're full of self-confidence and that they're self-assured and poised. And what I learned from reading the book is that Michelle is none of those things without a lot of hard work. She talks about the fact that she's constantly telling herself, am I good enough? Am I, am I better than the rest of the people around me? Am I prepared? And I was so surprised because I find her stature intimidating and that is my own bias, my own prejudice. So for me, that was actually amazing for me to read because looking at some, the, the persona that she has, even now in her interviews, after you hear her words, she, she's just become so much more human. Is there anything that anyone else wants to, that that kind of really surprised you about anything in, in the book? Yeah,
1: Karen. I, I did have something that surprised me. And that was the level of freedom that her mother gave the two of them. Um, that she could have a life where as a small child, she was allowed to have an opinion, which to me, um, having grown up in a black family, you don't get to have an opinion in general. In general, you get to be seen and not heard. And even in the late 70s, when she was growing up in Chicago, I would have expected that her family would not have been quite as open-minded as what I, what I found. So it was really surprising to me. I always liked the spirit of Marian Robinson, her mother. I always liked the way she was when I saw her in the family context. But to learn about her parenting was just the most incredible thing to me. You know, with, with children, you, you get what you get. And luckily, she got two brilliant children, so that was good. But she could have still ruined them and instead, she as she said repeatedly, you know, I wasn't raising babies, I was raising adults. And when you make a decision that that small person is not just a baby, but is an adult in the making, um, then you treat them as if they're an adult. So even at four years old, their opinions mattered, she listened, she let her talk back to her great aunt about the piano lessons, she let her talk back to her grandfather about his harsh way with his with her grandmother.
2: It's difficult even to, to, to put into words but people who are uh, celebrities and, and, and we have this understanding that they are somehow uh, better or more elevated than we have ever gonna be and I, I have just begun to read the book and I have been astonished to see how down to earth she is and how imperfect her life has been, and how she made the best out of uh, every situation and that's refreshing so that was that has been and, and continues to be one of the reasons why i I am a fan and I'm excited to read this book
0: you know I Kathy and I have talked about this. Um, I don't think Michelle has ever... I'm going to call her Michelle. I don't know her as Michelle. I I notice in the publicity they're calling her Mrs. Obama. I don't know. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. So pardon me if I'm I'm stepping out of turn, but I'm just going to call her Michelle. Kathy and I were talking about this when we were talking about the book. I don't think I've seen or heard her say that she considers her memoir in the self-help category. But in some ways, I really feel like it's one of the best self-help books I've ever read because she's completely, she's, her notion that we are continually becoming and that life truly is a journey is very comforting, especially if you're not at a place where you want to be. If for whatever reason you're, you want to make a change in your life, either in your personal life, or in your career, and maybe you don't know how to make that change, or you're not there yet, there's something very calming about this notion that we are all becoming constantly. And getting to a place where you think you want to be might not be where you want to be in five years after that. So that that was also a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, She... In reading about her early life, the Becoming Michelle, Becoming Me part where she talks about her career path, I was really surprised, I was, uh, there are a lot of reasons for this, but I was really surprised that she sort of went along her life simply checking the boxes. She talks about the environment in her apartment as a childhood of striving. She, she talks about, if you've started the book, she starts out her journey sort of remembering what it was like living above her Aunt Robbie, who was a piano teacher, and hearing the students come and play the piano. And she talks about that as an atmosphere of striving. And she, she's a great student. She gets A's, she gets into Princeton, she does well at Princeton, she gets into Harvard, she gets a job, you know all of this, she gets a job as a corporate attorney, and it occurs to her along the way that she really hates being a corporate attorney. I mean, she hates her work. Now, one of the, one of the sweet things about this is that, for me, even if, and for you, even if we are in a job that we hate, there are benefits to having that job. It could be a paycheck. It could be meeting the love of your life. She happened to meet Barack as an attorney at this firm doing corporate law, which she hated. If she hadn't done it, if she had left sooner, would she have met Barack? I have no idea. But it it was very, again, that's a very calming thought that even if you're in a situation where it might not be your passion, I think, you know, the, there are so many aspects to work or so many aspects of situations that it's not, it's not any one thing that's the overriding. The overriding sort of um, raison d'etre. So anyway, I, what, what I meant was that... So she, she talks about checking the boxes. She gets A's. She goes to Princeton. She goes to Harvard. She goes to work in corporate law. And then even when she leaves her job, finally she kind of opens up to the reader that she actually doesn't know what she wants to do. She doesn't know what interests her. And that was a revelation for me. And again, very comforting because many of us don't really know what we want. Even if we're doing something we enjoy, you know, you, talk, you hear people who say, this is my passion. I can't imagine doing anything else but this. She wasn't one of those people. And it, 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 but she did keep herself open to, with a lot of support from her friends, um, and ultimately from Barack, to—and I call him Barack, like I know I've never met him—I've <laughs> seen him up close—and oh my God! But just hopefully, we're all—I don't know what else to call him in this environment. Um, she, she did get a lot of help, but she she just took a leap of faith because. She wasn't happy doing corporate law, but if someone had asked her, what do you want to be and what do you want to do? Remember, she says early in the book, when people asked her when she was a child, she said, I want to be a pediatrician. Not because she wanted to be a pediatrician, but because it usually got a good response when people asked her the question. But she, w- she was a person who didn't really know, but she did take risks and she had quite a journey, and she's still obviously having her quite a journey, and I found that very comforting.
3: I was going to say earlier, my daughter, who lives in Scotland, texted me when the book first came out and said, Mom, did you know that Michelle Obama had fertility problems and had in vitro? She was, my daughter was quite taken aback by that. And I don't think that, I never saw that written any time when she was first lady. So I think that was shocking. Um... I would say a couple of things stuck out for me when Barack <laughs> ran for office. Since you're calling him a Barack, I'll call him Barack, <laughs> or other people call him Barry. Um, but um, when he went, ran for office, and I think it was during the campaign, and she was interviewed, I can't remember by whom. Um, my reaction as an african-american woman was i wonder if the public's going to be accepting of her because she's unabashedly african-american she does not in any way hide that she doesn't speak differently she you know in the book in the book it says that as well she is herself and it was the first time america really was being exposed to a genuine african-american woman who was from the south side of chicago and the book really presents her in that way as a counterforce to barack who on the other hand was not raised that way and i've always felt that michelle was kind of the grounding uh... was the reality check for him in many many ways and that you know, when the criticism of him not being, quote-unquote, black enough, um, in many ways that's true because of the way he was raised in Hawaii and in Indonesia and a white mother and white grandparents who raised him. But Michelle was completely the opposite of that. And I think that she brought the balance for him in many ways throughout his presidency, throughout the campaign, et cetera. And that's interesting to me as a, as, a, as an African American woman.
4: And I just wanted to add to that because I think you 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 hit on something that really had an impact on me in the book. And that was when she first started out on the campaign trail. And I remember my first introduction to her was that she was an angry black woman. I I, I like picked it up in the headlines. I kept hearing it on the radio. Like I just I I knew nothing about her and it was like i, I it, that really really hurt her i mean and 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 i think it was like chapter 19 because it was like for me that was such a powerful chapter in you know how she dealt with this labeling and 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 i just and i just remembered like that's my that was my introduction to michelle obama was angry black woman like i just couldn't believe that There was something in me that that was my first impression, so I I Think you know what that teaches me is that like we all like hear things and make Assumptions and just because she was a strong African-American confident woman on the campaign trail they called her angry and it's like what is that? I think we all need to like look at that like why why did she get that label and I just love the way that she became on the campaign trail. Like they even questioned her, Her, um, there, there, she said something about like, I've never been so proud of my country. And they attacked her for, you know, like it was just so unfair the way the press reacted to that statement. Um, and I just love the way that she just, she didn't ask for this political life. She had two young children. It was such exposure and so frightening for her, but she kind of moved through it. I mean, I, I can't imagine how fearful that was for her to have people attacking her. Um, one of the other things that struck me that she said during that period was, uh, you know, she would, she would hug people on the campaign trail and she would meet them and, you know, she, they'd invite her over for dinner and she was in coffee shops and people loved, loved her openness and her warmth. And then she said something, I heard it in an interview, and I don't even know if it's in the book, but she says, you can't, you can't hate up close. And that really struck me as well. I was like, that's so powerful. You can't. And who she is and how she was represented in the, in the press was just so different. And I just thought she handled that so well. And she was incredibly brave to just keep going on. Um,
0: you know, on that same note, I remember throughout the book, she talks about feeling invisible and growing up with this invisibility, and I think even today. And in fact, Bob and I um, were talking about this, and Bob, I just wonder if you would add your comment that you made about the first time she went to Africa, because I think that, that is, is such, a, such an important part of the book that, that sort of addresses this notion of how invisible she's always felt being a black woman and being a woman.
5: Well, there was, I mean, it's just a short paragraph, but I think when she goes with Barack for the first time to Kenya to meet his grandmother, she reflects on this, um, this feeling that she has that she's really not, even though Africa is her ancestral homeland, she doesn't actually have any direct connection or familiarity with it. She doesn't feel that connection that maybe she thought she might. And she also doesn't feel that America is really necessarily her homeland either. And it was, a, it was a very sad moment. It just lasts for a second. But it really <laughs> struck me because it was a... Um, then there was that, right, so on that same trip, I think it was the grandmother who when she first sees her, she says, which of your parents was white? And she goes, this is what black America looks like or something like that. And um, anyway, it was just a sad, I thought a very sad moment because you know, she's, she reveals that she doesn't really feel at home in either place. And to me, that's just a disturbing moment.
2: It's interesting to hear that. I haven't got that far in the book, but um, it's interesting to hear that as an immigrant, um, that's w- where, what most of us feel. We don't fit here, but we don't fit there either. So another reason to, to feel closer to her, yes.
6: Just on the subject of her mom, the part that I just read, which I thought was just like a wonderful vignette, I guess when she was living in the White House and she would sort of sneak out, you know, wouldn't take any of the Secret Service bubbles or anything, and she'd go to CVS or Filene's or something, and people would come up to her and say, you look just like Michelle Obama's mother. And she'd go, I hear that sometimes. (laughs) Which was just like, you know, instead of, you know, being really proud of her incredible daughter, just trying to kind of keep her low um, persona. One of the things that I found really interesting and surprising, um, although there were like preludes to this in her first interviews, I always thought of them as just this incredible marriage. You know, you'd always see them just gazing into one another's eyes, and he would you know, I think on his schedule, every day he would be, you know, having little Michelle time to make sure that they connect. And you realize all the struggle and hard work that went in that, and particularly when he was launching his political career. She really didn't want that. And, you know, she describes how she's just like this homebody who wants everything organized and safe and has her connection right there in Chicago. And he's kind of this guy of the world and is going to kind of just very chill and, yeah, and these dreams and passions, and yet kind of through her love of him and her really belief in him kind of really changes the course of her life to accompany him and at the same time kind of carves another life for herself. I mean, I think what I'm reading right now is also just as she's about to become first lady and really aware that she doesn't want it scripted for her. She wants to kind of carve that that for herself. And I also had the chance to, um, I was teaching at one of the schools that worked in the garden, so I went a few times, and it, it really is like being with a movie star. I mean, just her presence, and just her awareness of her role at that time, that she would make sure she would greet every kid. She came to our school, just kind of making that personal connection, knowing it would really make, a difference to people so that's kind of a really nice memory and impression I have of her personally
7: um, I guess going back to what you were talking about when she's talking about hers oh sorry um, her struggle with her marriage and stuff I think one of the things that made the biggest impression of me is how introspective she is about like anything that she goes through in life and when she realizes that one of the reasons why she was struggling in her marriage is because she was putting all of this pressure on being happy by, I guess, Brock, and then realizing that her happiness was within her control, and that she was responsible for that. Um, so yeah, I, I would say that that was one of the things that like impacted me the most, especially because you know, like I'm, start I'm still fairly young, and I took as advice that I can carry with me as I grow older of like I don't I shouldn't hold my happiness on someone else it's something it's every every decision that I make that I'm responsible for is what's going to make me happy in the future and it's going to eventually like lead me to succeed so
8: did anyone else go to see her speak at her book tour Okay, I did in D.C. It was amazing, and she talked about this a lot about how she needed she learned to be happy, and she talked about working out, and she basically was giving a talk to a lot of like young women, um, and telling them how to find the right partner, which was really interesting. Uh, but she talked about the uh, camp she has um, at Camp David for all the women to work out, and it was a really I didn't know that it was really fun to hear about that in person. So if she comes back, you should try to go.
0: I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because um, when I started reading the book, now ex- exercise changed my life because I was not an athlete and I came to it late in life. And now that it's part of my everyday existence, I, I, I get what she's talking about. But I kept expecting her to talk more about her exercise regimen, which she doesn't because it's just part of who she is. But there is that moment. I think it was right after the counseling where um, she realizes that she needs to get back to working out and she asks her mother to come to her house at 4.45 in the morning before her mother goes to work to watch the kids so she could go work out with a friend at the gym. And there's a statement in the book where she says it made all the difference. And she has a remarkable amount of emotional intelligence and I think that comes a lot from her exercise regimen. And I was hoping to hear more about that in the book. And I wonder, I don't know much about her mother, Marion's exercise regimen. She talks a little bit about her father, Fraser being an athlete and Craig being an athlete. Although I had to catch myself because she really writes about what she knows she tells us a little bit about the people who touch her lives, but she doesn't put words in any of their mouths. She's really talking about her own experience. But I really wondered how she got, how she got her exercise regimen at such a young age. She does talk about bringing her friends to Camp David and working out with the Marines in a boot camp. And I guess the first time she invites her friends, she tells them no alcohol and they rebelled. And so eventually she brought in the coffee and the alcohol. But she, she's never committed herself to um, talking about exercise for older women or adults. She's focused her campaign on children through her Let's Move initiative, um, her e- healthy eating initiative with young people. And she talks about in the book her realizing that children wake up every morning with hope. And so I think she sees them as a captive audience to sort of instill in them a healthy regimen so that they themselves can develop some emotional intelligence as they get older because life is not easy and relationships are not easy. And if exercise can help you kind of develop a way to cope with difficult situations, that's kind of what you want. But the other thing that resonated with me in talking about that section of the book is that she, I don't know whether her mother did this, gave her this, but she had the gift of reaching out for help. They went to a counselor when she was having questions in her marriage. I don't know how many couples do that. She, she's, she asked her mother to take care of her children when they moved into the White House. She asked her mother to come at 4.45 in the morning so she could work out. I think that's a gift that you give other people who love you, but it's also hard for a lot of women to actually say, I need help.
1: I also think part of why she was able to turn to her mother the way she did in so many instances is partly because her mother shared with her some very intimate experiences too. For instance, her mother telling her about the fact that she thought every spring about leaving her father. I mean, that's deep. That's not something that a mother generally tells a daughter. So. For you to be able to share something like that with your child gives your child the open door to be able to truly come back to you with something. So, I'm Seeing those little snippets of information that were shared between she and her mother told me a great deal more about their relationship. I could see why her mother would come at 4.45 in the morning. That's deep. But that's what you do when you have a level of trust and a level of faith in a person that lets you open up as their parent to them and then allows them to, to be similarly intimate with you
4: when when they need you. Um, I was just thinking, and this might just be taking an, another turn, but I, I, I find with Michelle Obama is um, her... Her empathy for people, her her deep connection to strangers, and just just reading a room and and knowing how to connect with everybody in a room. I think that's something that she was born with. Um, obviously, it developed as she became first lady of the United States. But it's just it's like, um, I think it's a very special quality that she has that that connection with everyone. She can find a way to connect. It doesn't matter who they are. And I, I find that just like one of her most brilliant um, personality traits is that just, you know, not j- just really wanting to connect with everybody in the room. And I, and I think that there's power in that. And um, and I think that's why she's such a presence and that she's so magical. Um, it's just really that connection that she makes um, with everybody. So,
0: Yeah, I think one of the... Um, I totally agree with that. She makes the case for becoming, but never at the expense of anyone else's becoming. She's always... There's room for everyone to achieve... There's room for every. There's no competition in becoming. And I love that about her. Everywhere she goes, she, there's a calmness to taking time to, have, to live your journey. But it's never you or the next person. It's everyone has the same opportunity. And I just feel that is so comforting. I wonder how you feel as a younger person. Does that change like, how you go about your career at all? I think when I was in my 20s, I probably had a sense of panic, like maybe there's only a certain number of slots for successful women, but I think she's making the case that everyone has that opportunity, and I wonder if you already know that or whether reading her or listening to her is making you feel calmer about your success as a professional maybe or even as a person.
8: Yeah, actually, I was going to bring this up. I just graduated college in May. Um, I went to Georgia Tech, and I just moved to D.C. from Atlanta. And reading this book gave me a lot of information about, like, career choice because I'm doing consulting, and I don't – that's not my dream. I want to – I started a nonprofit to get girls in engineering, and I want to do that. And so she does, like, corporate for a while and then switches into impact. And so it's, like, good to see what she's doing, and I think she gets – more um, on her resume that actually helps her so it's a balance of like you want to have impact now but you need to have a name for yourself so it was really helpful for me to read her book
9: You know, as I listen to this I mean so much of it is familiar in a lot of ways in terms of how she was raised and a lot of things and also I lived in Chicago for a long time so as they were starting out I was there and sort of seeing them at a different level um, but I keep going back to the to the the parenting too, and I, I remember years ago hearing an older woman say that the the, the greatest gift or the thing she thought the most important thing to give her child was confidence, and that's resonated with me for like 20 years. And I and I and so when I think about her, that's what I keep thinking about, and not confidence in the sense of um, you know you're comfortable in every situation. But there's something, there's some little nugget in there, that makes you not shut your own voice out, if that makes sense, you know. And so as I think about it and reflect on the book, I can I can envision those times, you know, from where she was in South Shore to, you know, and the school she was in at Bremar when she went to Whitney Young, which was a big thing, getting into Whitney, Whitney Young High School. And all of those things when she was when she met different black people there who had backgrounds who were different. When it was engaging with the Jack and Jill set and the various sets, there are a lot of places before she even got to a greater white you know larger white society, where she could have she could have shrunk, you know she could have been. I'm not the one that's supposed to be here. I mean, even when it comes down to skin color, you know, she's not probably in many people's eyes the wife that would have been accepted or acceptable for Barack. She wasn't the light skinned black woman, you know, with her size six, you know, frame or whatever. And so there's just so many things along the way that I see that she encountered where she either could have been shot down by others or whether she could have taken herself out of the race because she wasn't what society said she was supposed to be. So there's just that, that gift and that nugget and that thing that I wish if I could give it to all the young people in my life that says, you know, believe in yourself, not in the arrogant, over-the-top kind of way, but that thing that's deep down that just says, keep going. You know, keep going. It's for you, too. And I just think whatever was put into her is just amazing, you know, when it comes
3: to that. I will just say, I'm just curious, do you think, because I wonder if as a white person you read this book differently or interpreted it differently than a black person would. And the reason I ask you that is because there are references like some of the things that Jennifer just said about skin color that a lot of white people do not appreciate that within the black race, if you're a lighter, if your hair is straighter, you are seen one way than if you're darker and your hair is not straight. Or, or, or the way you, t- you speak, or the fact that she said that, you know, when she went to Princeton, and she went to Harvard, that she was, you know, one of the few black people in the room. What that really means, because I do think that we read and interpret things differently in accordance with our own backgrounds. And things like Jack and Jill, when, when I say Jack and Jill to you, do you know what that is? That's what I'm talking about. So there are certain things in the book that you wouldn't necessarily understand or you wouldn't interpret in the fully because you don't have that background. So it's always interesting to me to ask that question and to understand whether there's a different interpretation or if there are questions that you have, things that seem really strange to you because you don't have the context for it. So that's what I'm asking. just very
6: quickly I, th- I i think like one of the incredible things about the book is that i sort of felt like she was in conversation with me i was and i was very aware that everybody was having a different conversation with her like they were getting so you know i grew up in new york and i was kind of one of the only white kids in my public school for a while so there was you know i had different places kind of on the other side that i made connections but clearly you know, it's very different, and I think, you know, depending on, you know, where you came your age and if you came from another country, but I think that she was able to make a connection because of the general themes.
10: I I wanted to go back briefly to this conversation about school and particularly um, Michelle Obama's experience in terms of applying to colleges and that whole scenario, Um, you know, that her brother had gone to Princeton and she thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it, and just the... The absence of receptiveness to the people at her high school in terms of her ability to to do the same thing. And I was really glad she shared that experience because I think that so many times people think that people who end up at those places um, just knew that they were going to get there and had no sense of doubt or no one else telling them, "Mm, maybe you're not good enough. Or do you really think you can go there? And I think that's really important that a much larger pool of people hear that conversation and understand that even for somebody who is as famous as Michelle Obama, she had that experience too. Uh,
11: Just to pick up on Jackie's point about the schools, I'm from Detroit and uh, growing up I'd always done well in school, Um, got to high school continue to do well and um I didn't find out till later my, my mother gave me very special gift she passed about a year ago um, she found out I didn't get into the National Honor Society and she was very upset so she went to school I didn't know it and she talked to the school counselor and she's like you know why isn't Andrea in the National Honor Society she has very good grades she's done this and she's done that And I did get in. I didn't find out till later, but it was a similar type of school counselor um, who was probably fairly prejudiced, didn't think very highly, went to a school that was changing in complexion. There were a fair number of black people who went there, but this woman probably had a different idea and didn't probably have many expectations of me. And so it was a gift my mother gave. She never told me that till later, right? So I went to University of Michigan, and I'm a lawyer. But anyway, just that, that thing that my mother was, like, not going to stand for this person not push, you know, giving me everything that I needed. And so just something little that my mom was able to give, give to me. And so it, it does happen. I mean, um, and I had all the right stuff, but still, it happens.
0: There's that comment that Michelle makes in the book about Princeton where she says that it was a lofty goal that Princeton wanted to create an environment where black and white students went to class together, lived together, ate together, but it was really always up to the black students to make that happen. And that made me very sad because, um, you know, I just, it just made me sad that she felt that way. And, you know, I went to a college that was mostly white Um, There were black students there, and Karen and I have talked about this, and I don't think I was aware that I wasn't doing enough or maybe I wasn't doing anything to to be inclusive. I don't think I was ever exclusive, but the point Michelle makes is that when a university brings in a quote-unquote diverse student body, it's always up to the, the immigrants or the minorities to make that diversity happen. And that's not fair, and it's not right. That made me sad.
1: I just want to remind everybody who went to Vassar about the black um, lunch space. I don't know if you guys remember that. The black folks would eat in this one room, and we all ate together. And we were told repeatedly by different groups of people that it was uncomfortable for them to see us in there and I thought it was fabulous in Michelle's book that she speaks to this specifically, that she looked for, she needed her black people and so she made friends with black people more so than she did make friends with other than black people. So it's exactly this feeling you have that it's your responsibility as a black person to make the rest of the world feel good about you and so when you didn't make that a priority, which we didn't, and we ate together, and it kept coming up year after year. That, you know, all the black people are segregating themselves and eating over there in the corner. Why are they doing that? When, in order to survive this greater society, we needed to be together.
2: Well, don't feel lonely, because us Latinos have to be have to be doing the same. <laughs> um, graduated college last year. Uh, I was a late starter late bloomer, uh, but I graduated college last year, um, been in the the U.S. for 17 years. The hardest thing that I feel in this country still is to make friends. Um, I I can't bond with whites as well as I can't bond with blacks as well as I can't bond with Latinos. And Latinos uh, and If you have enough immigrant friends, you would know that you you get a flux, right? People that just arrived and people that are leaving and people that are coming and people that have been here for five years, people that are struggling to settle down, people that are starting to build families. So everybody's in a different rhythm. The the, the hardest thing for us is to build a community and our families are not close. So this is, there is still segregation. What I'm trying to say is there's still segregation. It's just a different tone of, of color now.
0: I suspect she didn't mean it necessarily, but her book is almost, when she talks about this, is a call to action.
1: I went over some sections to remind myself about my own experiences here, that some of the experiences that I had actually forgotten, um, and in a, in a way, Bob, some of what you, how you read certain sections and it made you sad, I had maybe five times during the reading of this book where I actually stopped because I was crying so hard. Um, you know, to see her grandfather, um, uh, who he could have been if the conditions of the time had not forced him into a marginalized life, a man who was called the professor. I mean, he was actually nicknamed the professor because of his you know, brilliance, his cool, his smarts, but there were no opportunities for that man. And so that man was an angry man. That man was a hostile man. That man was difficult to his, mu- his wife uh, and difficult probably to his children as a consequence of the conditions under which he had to live. So there were times when I just burst into tears. I just couldn't. I had to stop reading um, and I had to process a little bit. I, I eventually started just taking notes. I can't write in my books. I, I still can't write in my books or else I would have <laughs> highlighted that page. <laughs> All those bad habits from when you're a child. Uh, So I still can't write in my books, but I I tried to tag all the places where the pain just was too much for me, seeing this man who could have been just one of the great men of his time, who basically was made to crawl and couldn't walk. I mean, he was a handyman. You know, he had to be a handyman. He had to be just the idea that this man couldn't find work. It was shocking
5: anyway
12: well, I just want to ask a question about certain influences on Michelle. Um, I'm from another generation, maybe one from one generation from some people here too, from some of the younger people. and um, it was really hard for women. I mean it was a tough, tough go if you had ambition and you wanted to to make a difference and contribute and, and follow you know follow whatever your passion was, and so I read I read a lot of um, books, biographies, memoirs, about women who had succeeded. I worked in higher education, and I used to read about women presidents because in the 80s it was you know you were. I mean the words were something I don't want to repeat. <laughs> um, but what I found was an, a, a unifying theme. And that was the role of the father. That almost in every situation that I read, the father had expectations that those their daughters were gonna succeed. So I was wondering and I have to say, I haven't read the book yet. Bob has to finish it before I can read it. And so it's circulating in the family. But yeah, I'm his mother. anyway.
6: he... We can probably huh? that. What? You, I think they'll, maybe they'll get you one.
12: They'll get me one? Yeah,
6: they'll get you a copy. So yeah. yeah. way
12: okay. <laughs> Anyway, um, so I just, um, I just asked, and I asked the question to a friend of mine. Who is reading the book? I'm in. I'm in a writing group, and we were talking about it the last time we got together, which really propelled me to want to read it. So I was. So I asked, and it was sort of a dubious answer. So I just was wondering if any of you have any insights into that, and her, you know, her young life and her relationship with uh, the parent who was her father. I just want to add, I was actually just thinking about her father,
6: because I was also just struck about the way he handled his illness.
0: Yeah, I That's where I started.
6: And, you know, there's one thing to be humble and resilient and not drawing attention to yourself, but if I read it correctly, he, like, denied. He just, like, didn't look for medical treatment, and it was just kind of... So, I mean, your question and sort of that if anyone has any comments on either of those,
0: well, both of her parents had such a strong work ethic, and they gave her and her brother such an incredible sense of security, um, which I don't think any of us can can minimize, um, because ultimately that was her rock, that was her that was her safety net. share
1: going back to the thing about the father, um, he was ill, obviously, for most of her life, and of course she they realized he would always he was punctual because he had been ill he wanted to always arrive on time and in order to do that they had to go places really really early so then you know that became a part of her life then because you had to get there early cuz her dad would have to find a parking space and then take forever to get out and walk and get to where he was going but i also found it fascinating that her father agreed to some of the crazy stuff that his kids came up with. The fact that he would (laughs) lay on the floor and allow right when Craig went through these changes about making sure everybody was prepared for any eventuality, any fire, I think he was afraid of fire. um, I thought it was incredible that he allowed himself to be dragged (laughs) through their apartment to the top of the stairs (laughs) in order for Craig to feel comfortable that if something went down he would be able to get people out. Um, those kinds of, that kind of parenting is very unusual. I can ne- I could not imagine my father doing that. I just could not see my father getting on the floor and having my brother, one of my brothers drag him through the, I just, I can't even imagine that. And to think that this man understood that that was necessary to do. And then another incident with the father when he realized that his son was interested in basketball, even when he was quite young, he would put... A coin above the door, um, and I don't remember the, the specifics, but something about the coin jump and try to see if it catch to catch to, to, to pull it down. And he just came up with very simple ways to, to satisfy you know the need for whatever it was that the child had. And I found that just their parenting was incredible to me.
0: In fact, Michelle mentions in the book that her brother Craig. I think he was like a financial investment broker, and then he makes a pivot at some point and coaches basketball, finds what it is that he loves to do. And so, I, again, I found that so inspirational. This, you know, this openness to pivot and to feel comfortable pivoting. But one of the other things that sort of surprised me was like, you know, watching her in office, watching her in carpool karaoke watching that speech she gave in Philadelphia. It was so interesting to learn in the book how nervous she was and how well prepared she was, like how much she practiced those carpool karaoke songs before they filmed that, how much she practiced that speech before she gave it. Because from watching it from our point of view, our perspective, it just looked like on the fly. But she was so nervous and I felt that was heartwarming, warming. but. The other thing was that she never did anything for PR purposes. Everything had a reason. Even the carpool karaoke ultimately was, I think it was something to bring attention to, was it a nutrition campaign? A school, something for Africa or something? But that was the lead-in to a passion project that she had for children, that she never did anything in the public for PR. There was always a reason. Like she says in the book, when they got the dogs... The re- one of the main reasons why they got the dogs was to take the media focus off the kids. Remember, they, they would, when the media seemed to need something about the family, they would let the dogs run loose and they would invite the press to come. F- it, worked. F- it worked because they wanted the children to be out of the public eye, but they recognized the media's kind of need to have something about their private life. So there was always a really good motive for whatever she did in front of the media. The kitchen garden stuff was all about teaching children about how food is made, how much work it takes to make something that's on their plate so that they can appreciate it and begin to have an interest in healthy eating and also have an understanding and appreciation for how how much goes into any item that's on their plate. I just love that. I was so surprised by it.
4: I loved um, that she hugged the Queen of England because that's just what she does. She just hugs people. And I just thought that was a really nice moment um, because I'm sure the Queen didn't mind. It's not protocol, but she just can't help herself. And I just, I love that about her.
12: Again, for someone who hasn't read the book but has talked to people who have and looks at things sometimes from a different perspective because. I write memoir and um, and um, what do you call it personal essay, and so I said um, I said can they hear? Um, so I asked my colleagues what um, what makes this book so enticing? I mean we all have stories, we all have stories, and any one of us probably in, at some point in life can sit down and write about something that that you know was. On their particular journey, that change or whatever. But what, the, what, what they told me was it was style, it was the way she tells the story, the way she tells the story. And we're, we're all nonfiction writers, and there is a guru of nonfiction who um, we often go to his workshops when he's in the Washington area, and he says, You always start with a scene. And I understand that in this book, that she's always got a scene, and she takes you into that scene, and so it becomes um, a personal thing when you. When now I haven't read it, I'll make my own judgment when I do. But uh, but that's what that's what I heard about it, and um, so it was. So everyone says, you know, it's a compelling story, but what makes it so special? is the way she tells the story. So, you know, it's her style. And I also heard that she had started to write this earlier and, um, you know, from a different approach. And she went to New York and she saw something with Bruce Springsteen. He wrote his own, uh, wrote a memoir. And this was the technique that he used. And she went back and changed her technique.
0: I just think that leads us into a good conversation about the book itself. Is you know, I felt it was a page-turner. I loved reading it in addition to what she had to say. It's hard for me to separate whether I was so interested in what she had to say from the way she was saying it, but I loved her writing style. And I think she, she says in the book, you know, I, she was never really a writer, but I want, I've often wondered whether writing is about having something to say, and she had an awful lot to say. I think she actually says in the book, when I sat down to write this, I realized I had a lot to say. But her writing style is fantastic.
1: The delivery of her words was so casual and so real and so authentic and, and put me in such a place that even when I received information that was not just surprising but shocking, that it just went, it's just sort of, she slips it in and she moves on. When she was talking about dating a particular guy, and I don't remember what name, I don't know if it was David or... I know it's not the guy she kissed. Not the first kiss, but maybe one of the other guys she dated. She mentions that she smoked pot with him. And it was just like she threw it in and she kept on going. And I thought, huh? We knew that Barack smoked
6: pot. <laughs> no one ever said that Michelle smoked pot. <laughs> I guess something else that I just found amazing is the detail that she kind of recollect your life when you sort of feel like you're walking into kindergarten with her. And I was thinking, I really, I remember some things from kindergarten and I'm just a little few years older than her. But I think also in the introduction it said that she spent like hours with somebody just talking and uncovering all those memories. And I don't know if that's what you do in those kind of memoir, different right, different you know, skies. strategies to do that. But that was something that was like, Oh my gosh! Like clearly, you weren't like keeping journals in kindergarten, or what was going
4: on. So I just have a question for everybody that's read the book: Do you think she remembers the name of the kid that hit her, and she just omitted it? Yeah. She said, "I can't remember his name, but he socked me in the face."
0: It's just, it's it's just not who she is. You know, this like when they go low, I go high. I, I think it means even so much more than that phrase. It's having this incredible amount of emotional intelligence to understand that it's not important, and her communication style is just so um, transparent. And and again, it you know this um, talking talking with someone about her kindergarten so that she could bring out the memories. She has this incredible gift of reaching out to people for support who either lift her up or help her, and I find that so refreshing and, uh, and, and helpful in my own, in what I think about in my own life.
1: Another person that, whose name she doesn't mention is her cousin who said she talks like a white girl. And I know that as a, um, as a person with a ton of cousins, I'm one of um, seven children and my, I have tons of cousins. And we all grew up together. You almost were like brothers and sisters with your cousins. And they would say things like that, and you knew exactly who said it. So the fact is, I think she does know who said it. She goes through a little bit of um, word salading at that point, trying to say that you know she didn't know who said it and how it was thrown out and whether the tone was. But she kind of you know caught herself when she realized this person said she talked like a white girl. So I just think you know there are times when you might not want to say. And you make those choices, and I think she probably made a choice not to say it. Because if you can remember in the level of detail that she does, it would be odd to not remember a cousin, one of your cousins said it.
9: And that that reminds me, too, of an impression of just her as Grace. I just remembered that. Because there was another incident, probably more, but another one that came to mind where I noticed that she didn't mention the person's name. And I think she said she didn't remember She didn't. Um, but i was th- i was thinking as i was reading it as she remembers she just has the grace not to say it and even when she talks about the counselor i think i mean it just places along the way and you think about it i mean not only is that a, a, a manifestation an example of grace rather but why you know why why would you do that you know you didn't have to have to bring shame on that person at this point in time you know that Right, right, yeah, right. They know who they are, you know. So, uh, and in terms of the other thing I thought of too, just this has as also been alluded to, is the way she brings you into a scene. As you describe it, a scene, I think, is a perfect way of the describing it. And it made me wonder too, not necessarily back to kindergarten, but. Along the way, whether she journaled or anything like that, I know I have journals that go way far back, and I already have it in my will. Who gets them when I when I die? But, uh, but I really do. But, uh, but she, you know, but 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 because she did recall, it showed that she, I think, had processed those experiences, you know, so thoroughly. May, maybe before she even read the book, I don't know. Was at the time that it happened or in a journal or taking the time to reflect, I'm sure during the process of writing, but it was amazing to me how she seemed to have gotten the nugget of a lesson out of so much, so many of her experiences. How many things cross all of us every day that do we stop and get the nugget out of it, you know?
5: Um,
10: the other person I would have loved to have heard about is the roommate. Um, I remember at the inauguration there was a lot of discussion. It did get raised. The story came out about her roommate's mother insisting that she get another roommate. And I always wonder, we we the larger public don't really know who that person is, but I would love to know. <laughs> how, how do you feel now? <laughs> but that's, I mean, and then I mean, clearly it's not an appropriate thing. But I'm I'm really curious if if I could say, okay, just between you and me, can you tell me? Do you really feel terrible? I mean, think about all the parties you could have been invited to. <laughs>
0: Well, on that note, she's pretty clear about the parents of her children's friends, about the ones who just want to get invited to the parties. That was a little side note. But it must have had an impact on her. But I, um, you know, as a mom, there are some moments in the book that she remembers, that we all remember as moms, like the first ear infection and how, like, it, like the whole world stopped because there was an ear infection. And she writes about that in Hawaii, And you can just, you can picture the two of them just like so (laughs) freaked out over it. And then the birthday, was it um, Sasha? When they were on the campaign trail? Was it Malia, her 10th birthday? And where it was like a really crazy day, but they all like went to the party room to do a party. And the staff was like falling asleep. And Malia was like, I'm so done with this. But, you know, you're in that world as a parent. And, you know, they hit 10 and you feel like the whole, you know, you got to rent out, you know, Rock Creek Park, you know, for the party. So, I mean, seeing that side of her as like a parent um, really made me laugh. And, uh, you know, as a as a manager, you know, who um, over the years I've had, you know, maybe first time parents, you know, who've had a child with ear infections and I, they come in and, it's like they're so upset, and they'll talk to me about what the doctor says and whether they need the um, tubes or whatever. And, you know, I'm just I'm trying to be compassionate. Take as much time as you need. But I just remember you feel like the world is ending. And so I, I love the story about how he missed that vote in Hawaii because, you know, Malia has an ear infection. So I love that
6: all worried that they weren't giving her the birthday and at the end of the day she was like this is the best birthday I ever had you know she was out when you know the secret service were giving her ice cream she was in some parks. she met everybody in Montana she thought it was great
0: so I just want to thank everyone for coming out here on a Sunday we're just going to wrap this up it was um, so enjoyable hearing what you all have to say because now I want to go back and reread some of those sections and uh, think about them again and also how she's inspired me personally that's one of the takeaways that I get from her writing and from the book that it's okay to think about how something impacts you because she does she writes so beautifully about how she fits in to Barack's presidency and it's it perfectly okay to think about how something touches you and how you relate to it so I just want to thank everyone again for your thoughts and um, Kathy did you want to say anything? I miss her. <laughs> I want her to come back. Well,
4: it'll be interesting to see what she does um, and, you know, t- and what impact she will have on this current world. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they both do. And uh, it's exciting, because I think she's going to keep doing her thing.
1: I want to thank all of you again for coming and for participating with us in this, and Um, giving us an opportunity to talk about someone that is just beyond amazing. So thank you for that. So thank you
0: all. Have a great Sunday. All right. You've been listening to a production of My Brain on Endorphins. Special thanks to Owen Kelly for mixing and engineering and for the awesome theme music. Thanks for listening.